Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, our Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that through it, you speak to us, giving us instruction, correction, and equipping us for every good work. Lord, I come here today understanding the seriousness and the responsibility of presenting your word. Therefore, I ask that you would guide my thoughts and words. May I communicate clearly, and may the Holy Spirit bring fruit to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How is it that I'm supposed to live my Christian life? What is it that I'm supposed to achieve? Am I to reach a certain state of perfection? Should I just pray and read my Bible and let the Holy Spirit do the work? Our text today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. In it, the Apostle Paul addresses these questions, and he uses the illustration of a race. The race starts when we repent of our sins and come to Jesus to find salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The finish line is described at the end of our text, when we will one day meet our Savior and be transformed to become fully like him. From start to finish is the track that we run in. It's our Christian life. It's the life we are supposed to live, the abundant life that Jesus referred to in John 10.10. So how is it that we're supposed to run this race? Let's start with a few basics. First, we must know where we are. Let's read verses 12 and 13. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Notice that Paul repeatedly states that he is not there yet. I have not obtained, I have not arrived, I have not taken hold of it. Paul is doing a sober self-assessment. And he is making it clear to anyone who thinks otherwise. In the beginning of verse 15, some commentators say that he is even being a bit sarcastic. Let's look at it. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. All of us, that is Paul, and those that think themselves to be mature, should take this view. What view? That we are not there yet. You think you have reached full maturity? You think you have arrived? Well, think again. Brothers and sisters, do you know where you are 
in your Christian race? Do you think you have arrived? Well, I doubt any of us think we have reached perfection. However, sometimes we think we are about good enough. We are a bit above average, and we are satisfied with our performance as Christians. Paul wasn't. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Christian lives, we need to develop a holy dissatisfaction with our spiritual state. We need to acknowledge that we can always come closer to Christ and further away from sin. Now, after we know where we are, we need to know where we are going. Let's look again at verse 12. Not that I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What is Paul's goal? What is it that he wants to take hold of? Answer, he wants that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, him. In other words, God's goal for Paul has become his goal for his life. He wants to be exactly what God called him to be. And what is that? Well, let's look at a familiar passage in Romans 8, verses 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's goal for Paul was to make him like Christ. God's goal for me is to make me like Christ. God's goal for you is to make you like Christ. Christ-likeness is the name of the race. Many times we pray recognizing that God works all things for his glory and our good. This prayer comes from this text. And the good it refers to is not health, nor is it wealth. The ultimate good is that we become like Christ. My dear brother or sister, I don't know the obstacles you are facing in your race. Maybe the lack of a loved one. Maybe the loss of a job. Maybe a tough relationship. Maybe a persistent health problem. Whatever may be the case, one thing I do know, and it is this. God wants to use that situation to make you more like Christ. Yes, you should pray for a job. Yes, you should pray for health. Yes, you should pray for a restored relationship. But in the process, remember that your goal and God's purpose for that situation 
is to make you more like Christ. Now that we know where we are and we know where we are going, we need to know how to get there. There are four key elements in this text that shows us how to run the race. First, we must press on. We see it in verses 12 to 14. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is where we meet our runner. The expression to press on means to run, to chase, to pursue. It is used of a sprinter, not a, a marathon racer, but a sprinter. It requires aggressive, energetic effort. The words straining forward shows us that he is stretching every spiritual muscle. Even the expression to take hold of it is intense. It means to seize, to grab with vigor and determination. Imagine for a second a runner in the Olympic 100-meter race. The start is triggered, and there is an explosion of energy in his body. Every muscle is trained. His feet, his leg, his arms, his hands, even his face is running. He stretches toward pushing, he stretches forward, pushing toward the finish line, pushing his chest, finally grabbing hold of the prize. This is the image that Paul wants us to have here. It is also important to notice that the verb used in I press on is in the present active indicative. This means that it is a continual pursuit. Every day, Paul is chasing the prize. Every moment of every day, he wants to become more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not passive. It is not let go and let God. It is not sit back and relax. It is not resting on your justification with the ticket to heaven and waiting for the rapture. No, it is an active, consistent, and disciplined pursuit to become like Christ. It is to fight the good fight. The Christian must deny self, must put to death the desires of the flesh, must resist temptation, must flee from immorality, must renew his mind, must contend earnestly for the faith, must pursue righteousness every day, every moment of every day. But you may say, that's too much for me. I can't do it. And you know what? I can't do it either. It is God working through us. 
the process of sanctification, as theologians call it, is synergistic. It is our obedience and God's power. We saw this previously in Philippians chapter 2, a couple of weeks ago, verses 12 to 13. Let's read it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in our Christian life, but I am also responsible. The Christian, Christian life is 100% God's work, but it is also 100% my responsibility. It is a partnership. The primary agent is the Holy Spirit, which empowers. The secondary agent is our obedience. The second key on how to run this race is focus. We need to keep our focus. Let's read verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. The original text give, gives emphasis to the words one thing, so much so that the translators had to add I do in order to give fluency to the text. The text simply says, but one thing. Paul is focused on one thing, not two things, not three things. He has tunnel vision. He is focused on his goal to become like Christ. He is like a guided missile chasing its target until it is reached with pinpoint precision. Can you imagine our runner as he is running, looking up at the benches to see if his wife is there? <laughs> no. Can you imagine him looking up at the sky to see if it's going to rain? No. Or can you imagine him looking back? No, of course not. He does not look back. Instead, he forgets what is behind. Now, let me suggest to you that there are only two things that we need to forget. Only two things. The bad things and the good things. Maybe you look to your past and realize how much you have failed. How much you have sinned. With shame, you say to yourself, how could I have been so stupid? How could I have fallen into Satan's trap over and over again? My race is compromised. My dear friend, let me assure you, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that cannot be covered by the blood of Christ.
for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or maybe your life is marked by suffering and you are hurt and you have deep scars in your heart and in your soul and maybe even your body. My friend, let me assure you again, there is no hurt which God's grace cannot overcome. So stand up and press on towards your calling. But you also need to forget the good things. Maybe God has blessed you, and by his grace, you have accomplished significant things for God's kingdom and his glory. But think of Paul. As Paul writes these words, he has been a Christian for approximately 28 years. He is an apostle, a missionary, a church planter, a preacher, a disciple maker. He has written 13 of the books of the New Testament. After Christ, he is arguably the most important character in the New Testament. Yet, Paul did not rest on his accomplishments. He did not say, I have done enough, and besides, I'm tired of these beatings and these prisons. No, not Paul. My dear brother or sister, no matter how great your contribution to the kingdom has been, continue the race. Forget what lies behind and press on, move forward. Our third key in running the race is to follow good examples. Let's look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. <clears throat> the first example we ought to follow is that of Paul. Now, remember that Paul is not putting himself on a pedestal. He is not saying, I am perfect and imitate me. No. What he is saying is this, I'm pursuing the same goal you are. I am not perfect, but you can follow the way in which I pursue perfection. Paul struggled with the flesh. Paul struggled with pride. Paul struggled with anger. Does that sound familiar? He faced the same temptations we do. Yet, he has set an example for us, which has been recorded in scripture, and we can read about it in the book of Acts or in his epistles. But, in addition to that, we need real life examples. Suppose I needed to climb a mountain. I've never done that and I don't know how these crazy alpinists do that. And I'm looking at the challenge ahead of me, 
and I see Superman flying to the top of the mountain. Superman is willing to tell me how to do it, so he shouts. Hey, John, step on that rock right in front of you and grab your right hand on it. No, the other right hand. Oh, okay. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. I Superman, that's, thank you for your help. But then, Roberto Garcia comes along. <laughs> and he says, hi, John. How can I help you? I reply, I need to climb this mountain, and I have no idea how to do it. He promptly responds, well, I will show you. Follow me. And I look where he puts his foot. I look where he grabs his hand. I see what he does when he slips. And I think to myself, if Roberto can do it, so can I. <laughs> Paul exhorts the Philippians to keep their eyes on those who live as he does. The Philippians had Timothy. They had Epaphroditus. They had elders and deacons. They had real flesh and blood models that they could look up to and follow. Brothers, no Christian is meant to live in isolation. We have the body of Christ, the church, and in it we interact with people, people that are not perfect but are with us in the same journey. In the church, we can always find a model to follow, and we can always be a model for those coming after us. Finally, our fourth key in running the race is that we must be alert. We must be alert. Verses 18 through 19. <clears throat> For as I have often told you before, and tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind <clears throat> is set on earthly things. In the pursuit of Christ-likeness, there are some that we need to follow, but there are many that should be avoided. Did you notice that? Many are the enemies of the cross. The implication of the text that is that these are not outspoken, declared enemies. They don't come down the road and into church with a banner. We are against the cross. We are against Christ. We're against salvation by grace to faith. No. Someone like that would not be a threat, right? Instead, these are people that present themselves as friends of Christ, <clears throat> as followers of Christ. <clears throat> Please note the seriousness of this warning. Paul has often told them before. 
he is telling them again with tears. Paul is actually crying as, he's, as he writes these words. Paul is not being arrogant. He is not being judgmental. He is pleading out of profound love and care for the Philippians. Dear brothers and sisters of Calvary, please be careful. Today, the media platforms that we have access to provide multiple resources. They're captivating, exciting, professionally made. But please be careful. The same platform that brings to you a sound biblical teacher may also present to you many that are not. We need to be selective. We need to be discerning. We need to test what we hear against the teaching of God's word. Ask yourself, is this teaching adding to the Bible? Is this teacher omitting some clear teachings of the Bible? Is he pulling a text out of context to promote his own ideas? Is he even teaching the Bible, or he is only telling interesting stories about his personal experience? Brothers and sisters, please be careful. So, how do we run the race? We need to know where we are, we need to know where we are going, and we need to know how to get there. To get there, we need to press on, we need to keep focus, follow good examples, and be alert. Now, let's finish the race. Let's go to verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a blessed hope to one day finally arrive at the finish line and be transformed to become fully like Christ. My friend, this blessed hope is only real for those who have repented of their sins, turned to Jesus, and recognized him as Savior and Lord. If you have never done so, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, and you want to do so, please come talk to us before you leave. But if you are already running that race, the Christian life, I'd invite you now to celebrate communion with us. <laughs>